Welcome to the sixth episode of 13 Ways to Lead with your host, the 13th Command Chief of the Air National Guard, Chief Master Sergeant Maurice Williams. Our featured guest today is the Director of the Air National Guard, Lieutenant General Michael Lowe. I'm Master Sergeant Eric Gallion, and today we are talking about leading by being strategic and deliberate. Explain your strategic vision in a very simple, short, and concise manner. Be deliberate in the process or way to get there. People must believe in the leader before they will believe in your vision. Here's your host, Command Chief William. Today we have your 13th Director of the Air National Guard. Boss, I'm going to let you go ahead and just tell a little bit about the backgrounds. Oh, you bet, Chief. Chief Williams, my Command Chief, he's been doing a wonderful job. First off, I'm Lieutenant General Mike Lowe, 13th Director of the Air National Guard. I've been in the Air Force now almost 38 years. Before that, I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. Upon graduation from the Air Force Academy, went off to fly F-16s in the active duty. This was back during the Cold War time when we had a Soviet Union. I was actually on the front lines in Europe in a uh, strike fighter squadron flying F-16s. From there, I went off to training command, essentially teaching in the F-16. And then during what I'll call the downsizing after the post-91 war, we, uh, we downsized the active duty military from 525,000 active duty to 395,000 in a very short period of three years. During that time, I took that opportunity to join the Colorado Air National Guard. And I was a, uh, started out as a full-timer in the Colorado Air National Guard a- as a transition from A-7s to F-16s. And then from that time became a drill status guardsman, joined a major airline, went off to uh, served both uh, my state and nation flying F-16s as well as going off and being a drill status guardsman working for a major airline. Um, I've held many leadership opportunities, squadron group command, uh, staff experience at the Pentagon, numbered air forces, combatant commands, and then finally back and forth through about 25 years of flying F-16s and then off to the staff assignment was the adjutant general for the state of Colorado. As the adjutant general for the state of Colorado, I commanded both the Air National Guard and the Army National Guard in the state. Did that for about three and a half years till about 20 months ago where I was uh, selected as the 13th director of the Air National Guard and came up here to the Pentagon. So background, combat air forces, and, um, and then just almost four decades of service to our nation. Hey, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, definitely that's great to hear. Uh, And one of the things, you know, you mentioned as you started off, uh, is there any particular incident that you can remember where the emphasis was in advancing how you thought as a cadet when you was in school? Oh, you bet. So there's a couple of them, but probably the most uh, impactful thing was during the senior year. Uh, We just come out with... uh, with the core values of the United States Air Force, integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. Now, how, how, how do you really uh, direct the United States Air Force under those core values? Uh, during that time, I was also squadron ops officer, leader, had been an NCO, had uh, also been a uh, MTI during summer basic training. So had mm-hmm. done a bunch of different leadership roles. During the, my final semester senior year, I was the um, squadron honor representative. So it was about the honor code. And so the honor code, United States Air Force Academy. During that time, we had a cheating scandal. Hmm. So we're talking right before graduation. Right. 
And now I'm out there making decisions on what happens to these folks that cheated during that scandal. And I knew that it had impacts for the rest of their life. Wow. Big decision. Big decisions. And when you're sitting there in the honor board and you're making decisions about folks that you have literally spent four years, blood, sweat, tears with, you're making decisions on what's happening. And I took each and every one of those as an individual decision because it was that. And I took all the facts that were presented in front of me, laid it all out there, and I thought more about the institution mm-hmm. and less about the individual, depending on what the, what the different situation was. Never forgetting the individual because right. you have to have people to do the mission, but also thinking about what's better for the institution of the United States Air Force Academy and higher education and learning and going back to the principles of um, integrity first. That's a great example, sir. And you got to think about at that time, you know, you're 20-something-year-old. Oh, 21. And you having an impact on, you know, the Air Force Enterprise by the decision making at the Air Force Academy at that time. You know, and that's, that's one of the things, uh, you know, as I came up with these leading principles, so, so airmen can think about, hey, that decision making and thinking strategically and being delivered in your decision making. And, and so what I want to do is advance up a few years uh, when you became the Assistant Adjutant General Air in the state of Colorado. Uh, I know their focus as Assistant General Air, uh, Adjutant General Air at that time is mostly focused on the Air National Guard and the Air Force. Was there any particular thing going on during your tenure at that time that had a great effect on the Colorado Air National Guard or the Air National Guard at that time? During that time as the Assistant Adjutant General, most of my job was, was actually twofold. Uh, a lot of it was uh, strategic planning system, so SPS, where we have the trust of the Adjutant General to go out there and say, okay, hey, I want you to represent me in these forums to go out there and make sure that, that the strategic direction of the Air National Guard is going. At the same time, I was actually dual-hatted up here in, inside the Pentagon, and I was working for the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Norty Schwartz. General Schwartz as Chief of Staff of the Air Force, uh, Secretary Donnelly, working a, as his Air National Guard assistant up here. I had a very unique perspective because I had never spent any staff time in the Pentagon. That was my first Pentagon tour. So I come up here and I'm going, these guys are dealing with some really major issues. And they're major issues, not just for the Air Force, but for the nation. And how we go about uh, dealing with the things that the Pentagon does best. And, and, I, and I'll tell you what I believe the Pentagon does really, really well. One is the planning, programming, budgeting, execution. The services do that better than anybody else. You have to think about it, right? Seven to $800 billion enterprise, and all that runs through the services. The other thing is the policy side. When you write policy, strategic direction and policy, you have to think about how that impacts the individual airmen and their families. And if you, and if you can't put yourself in their perspective and how this could get interpreted, and I hate to say it, but yeah, we go after, is it a will or is it a shall or is it a may? Because all those can get interpreted three or four different ways as it goes down to that different level. And so we take a really deliberate, and coming from a fighter pilot where I was making decisions in seconds, sometimes less than that, take a deliberate approach on how we get policy done. Because I want to make sure that the policy inside the United States Air Force is important. During that same time, we came up with the budgetary issues. Everyone, uh, especially in the Guard, well, 
if you've been around for longer than about uh, 20 years, um, then you probably grew up and, and you saw what was happening in President's Budget 13. Okay, you'd gone through a couple of BRACs, which is a base realignment commission to close units. And so PB13 was one where, hey, the Air Force just didn't have enough money. And so they had to make some strategic decisions. And it was essentially making cuts across the enterprise, but most of it coming out of the Air National Guard and the reserves to some extent. And it was, how do we present it then in a realm that says, hey, the Air Force needs help and try to maintain positivity and try to get us on the same sheet of music to go, hey, this is not the right thing for the United States Air Force, which is not the right thing for America. And so I think trying to, uh, to sync all that up was pretty interesting. Back at the state, during that same sort of time, it was, how do I continue to get our airmen understanding what the issues are that are going on up here? Because they're going to feel the impact of mission change. They're going to feel the impact of, you know, loss of jobs or maybe even loss of location. And then how can I make them see themselves into the future? So it's really, you have to have a little bit of faith and trust in your leadership that we're making based on those facts. But it's tough telling a you know, 30, 35-year technician who's been working the flight line that your job is going away as an F-16 crew chief, for example, and we're going into MQ-9s, and I need you to, to think about how you can transition and still be a valued member of that organization do that stuff. So during that time frame, is, I had both. I had how do you take care of the airmen in the field, mm-hmm. right, at the unit level, and then also, how do you take care of the strategic direction of the United States Air Force? And I was working for a great director at the time named, named uh, Lieutenant General Bud Wyatt. And, uh, from, from Oklahoma. <laughs> yep, you got it. And Bud from Oklahoma. You know, I mean, that, that was his favorite line. And, uh, and he sat me down, and we went through a lot of things. The chief National Guard at the time was Craig McKinley. And so going in to brief those two and go, hey, here's, here's where we're at. And then getting their left and right limits on, okay, here's where we need to go. And, and let's see what we can do to make this happen and keep, uh, I'll call it the Air Force family together because we've heard of times where the Air Force family gets separated. Active duty going one direction, guard going one direction, and reserves going one direction. So we, we needed to keep the family together. Interesting times. Sir, so now since you've been in, uh, positions at, in the position as a director of the Air National Guard, uh, you have five priorities. I would like for you to explain your priorities, but still hitting the strategic level of what we want to do in our National Guard. Um, so, so when you put together strategic priorities, you got you to remember, what's the perception in the field? What's the perception in my staff? So those are two things. And also, how do we get buy-in to make sure everyone sees themselves in those strategic priorities? Okay. So with that, though, they also, there is also, and I'll go above that, an alignment that takes place, right? We have to listen to the Secretary of Defense, present above that, Secretary of Defense, national defense strategy and national military strategy, and then also your boss. So I effectively look at it this way. Uh, as, a, as a member of National Guard Bureau, I listen to General Hoganson. So he has, he has four priorities. Ready forces, um, people, modernization, and reform. I mean, th- those, are, those are the four things that, uh, that, that he talks about. Obviously, uh, General C.Q. Brown, Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force, the Accelerate, Change, or Lose, right, which talks about airmen, bureaucracy, competition, and design, and each one of those, and he's put out action orders, and all those are there. 
So when I looked at it, I looked at it from a staffing perspective and I looked at it from a unit perspective. I go, what is, what is it about the National Guard that we need to do? And every leader has mission, vision, and priorities. So MVP, easy, easy acronym. And so the priorities for us in the National Guard Bureau and what I go out there and I talk about to all the units, all right, I have five priorities. First off, ready forces, partnership, people, force structure, and then policy. So those are the five. And if you look at it between the two, between both uh, General Brown and General Hoganson, they're well nested underneath those two. Okay. So what we do for America is we provide ready airmen for the global operations, ready airmen to defend the homeland, ready airmen to take care of their communities. Those three things, global operations, homeland, communities, right? And with that, those ready airmen, uh, we need to make sure that we provide from uh, the National Guard perspective, from the Air Force perspective, all the um, resources, the equipment, the buildings, everything else in order for them to do that. And what I want airmen to come to drill weekend to do each and every time is to think about how they're delivering air power and how ready they're going to be. And I need all of them. I need all 108,000. I need you to go out and recruit more, right? But when you come in, I want you to have a meaningful job that you see yourself in the United States Air Force. And you're going to be able to deliver air power anytime, anywhere, right? We just took the United States Air Force and we stood up a new service called United States Space Force. So right now, we are concentrating on air power. That's not to disregard our over 1,000 airmen that should really be space guardians right now because those AFSCs are there. But for the United States Air Force, what we're concentrated on right now is that. And then I have a whole other group inside of the National Guard Bureau that's worried about space operations. So I'm not forgetting about them at all because we're still resourcing, still doing that. And now we're going to see where that goes. So that's the ready forces piece. How do I keep them ready? Okay. Second piece is the partnership piece. What I learned really, really at a young age is that you have to have partnerships across many levels in an organization in order to be successful. It's not just thinking about my peers out there or anybody just down below the organization. I also have to think about how my boss is doing and how my boss's boss is doing. That's the military side. But also, where can I influence our community? Remember, I talked about global operations. Talked about um, the community aspect, and I talked about the homeland, right? So the Guard, we can do that better than anybody else. We're across 50 states, three territories, the District of Columbia. There is somebody there that you can interact with. 166 locations. You want to serve the United States Air Force, you have 166 locations that you can come serve in. That's your Air National Guard. So our communities ought to know exactly who we are, where we're located, and what we do for the United States of America, and also what we do for our communities, where we are going globally and doing that stuff. Our partnerships start locally. Then they grow from there, right? The nice thing about the National Guard is our connection to the state and the governors. So does the legislature know? Okay. Does uh, do the people know? Does the legislature know? Governor, obviously most of the governors understand it. They're the commander-in-chief of the National Guard, right? And then from there, where do I go actually to get an influence and advocate for those resources? Well, I come up to 
uh, lead MAGCOM, like Air Combat Command, Air Mobility Command, Air Force, um, Air Force Materiel Command, Special Ops Command, Air Education Training Command. So we put people out on each of those commands that actually help and do that, and you can actually connect with them. The National Guard Bureau, now you come up to the national level, the entry point into the Pentagon, right, into everything that we do inside the Pentagon here. So the relationship with the states and the 90 wings into that Pentagon is the National Guard Bureau. So that's how we do that. And then finally, it goes beyond that into the combatant command. Remember, when you leave and you go global operations, doesn't matter where you're, where you're going, you're going to go work for a combatant command somewhere. Indo-PACOM, UCOM, CENTCOM. We've been doing 30 years of CENTCOM rotations. We're pretty good at CENTCOM. But in the future, just like what's going on right now, look at what we're doing in UCOM. We're adding forces, reinforcements to NATO and to UCOM. That's very important for us. We're over AFRICOM, SOUTHCOM. So those, uh, when you go out, you're just not representing your state. You're also representing the United States Air Force. But you are representing both, right? And you are the best of America. So, and that's what people are going to see when you're out there. Hey, these National Guard airmen, they have skills. Not just skills they learned in the United States military, but also skills that they learned outside the United States military in their civilian jobs. Uh, you know, as, as you know, a lot of our enlisted force, PhDs, they have expertise beyond me, more well-educated than I am, right? And how they present themselves and how they do that stuff, they represent the best of us. So those partnerships are there. And then finally, National Guard is a state partnership program. That state partnership program with over 80 countries now, where states are paired with countries, is long-term stability. So when you look at Secretary of Defense, you look at the president, what are they talking about? Allies and partners. Boy, that's the National Guard. I mean, that's a very strategic thing that we do when we go out there, and we, we do it at a very tactical and operational level. And, it, and, it's, and it's very, very powerful. That's what they see of America. They see the state and they see that. And, that, and that's a, a wonderful thing. So that's, the, that's how I look at the partnerships. The next piece are the people. And I'm just not talking about airmen. I talked about airmen and the readiness side. But I need resiliency of our airmen, which starts with the family unit. So how do I get families involved? How, do, how does the family support their airmen to make sure that they can go serve their nation and their state? There are many times, either the governor calls or the president calls, where they're walking away from a disaster or they're walking into a disaster, but the family is still living with that. We've had that many times, hurricanes, fires, floods, even in the Air Force where, where we'll uh, hurivac, you know, airplanes out of harm's way. We're leaving our families behind. Right? So how can I build resiliency inside an organization and a unit to make sure that that's covered? And how can I partner with the community to make sure that that's covered? Because as you know, Chief, hey, if we lose our family, we're done wearing this uniform, right? So I need to make sure that, that the family uh, knows their importance in that. And then in the Guard, it is unique. I have employers. So 70% part-time, okay? Some of them come on and off orders. So at any given time, there's probably about 80 85% that have actually spent time in the civilian community in another job. There may, may even be more. So I, I need to make sure that the employers understand how they fit into our national defense framework. 
when I came into this job, the other thing was, again, I talked about what the Pentagon does really, really well. Okay. So force structure and policy. Force structure is really that planning, budgeting, execution. We are sitting on some of the oldest airplanes, right? We are sitting out there with folks that are, that are, you and I go out there all the time and we see these airmen, airmen that have, I'll call it duct tape. I know it's speed tape and, mm-hmm. and all that other stuff, but, but they're holding these things together. I'm sure they would like something newer. Yep. We hear that quite a bit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so how can I get them something newer and, and how can I make sure that that something newer will survive in the future? Right. Deliver combat effects for America when, when required. Deter the enemy first. Deliver combat effects and make sure they come home. And so that's what we're charged with on the force structure side. And making sure that we have fully funded programs and making sure that, that our folks can go out there and train and do that. And then the final piece is a policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we can write policies all day inside this Pentagon that will eliminate the value of the National Guard. We can make it a full-time centric only organization that doesn't really do much for the foundation for national defense of the National Guard. So now, how can I make sure the policies are set correctly so that the drill status guardsmen can flourish? How can they get their training done, feel the value that, that they provide, okay, in that time frame that we can do it, and then go off and serve their nation when required or serve the state tomorrow? Those are the things that, uh, those are the five priorities. Well, I know of something that you mention all the time as we talk about being strategic in delivery and being concise and individuals understand the com- commander's intent. And sometimes the commander's intent, as you mentioned before, getting caught in that frozen middle. And you always talk about flattening that line of communication. Can you elaborate on that, uh, on flattening that line so Aaron understand that, hey, the top understands about how you feel and what's going on. And we're trying to make it so that communication, that commander's intent reach all the way down to the bottom. Right. I, I think the easiest thing on the commander's intent reaching the bottom. Okay. And, and I'll say, it cause this, uh, when I went and I was the adjutant general for Colorado, I came in, looked at the organization, said, Hey, I have, I have a certain number of priorities that I want our, us to focus on as an organization. And uh, one of them was, was uh, cross-cutting to everything, which was integration piece. How do, how do I better integrate the Air National Guard and the Army National Guard? Because two great stovepipes of excellence. I'll, I'll call them stovepipes. But we were, we were going off to do combat together, and we weren't training together to go do that stuff. And, and what I found out is okay. sometimes you put it out there, and the next thing you know is you over-communicate mm-hmm. first. So you make mm-hmm. sure that everyone understands here's – my priorities, right? Right now, ready forces, partnership, people, force structure, policy, boom. We over-communicate. So for the last 18, 20 months, you've heard me over-communicate that with the staff. And then in the decision-making side is uh, when, obviously when decisions come up and, and we're making them, I go, okay, how does yes. it impact those five priorities? And if it's not in those five priorities, then why are we spending any time on it? Okay, or you could probably make that decision. So how do I get the message out? Over-communicate, number one. Number two is, how do I pull that data from below? Most of the time, start looking around. Right now, we have gotten really, really good at social media and communications. I bet 
that every wing has a website, a page, an app, or as you walk in to these squadrons, the commander has their priorities that are out there. Look around. I, I bet it's out there to be found. Oh, yeah, common thing. Right? Yep. And, then, and then take it internal and go, okay, how do I see myself in these? And what can I do, again, remember, for myself, for my family, in order to get me out there? Mm -hmm. And then, from that standpoint, then take it and go, okay, when I'm coming to drill, or as I'm a full-timer and I'm planning this next drill out, right, for the part-timers that are doing it, whatever I'm doing, how am I delivering for the United States Air Force in that. And I think that, that uh, that's where we talk about it. First thing, you got to over-communicate. Second thing, you got to standardize, stay on message for a long mm -hmm. time. It can't be every drill you're doing something different, right? right? You got to stay on message. How does it, how does it fit in with, with the priorities of the commander? And then from a very junior level, how do, I, how do I pull that? Most of the time, it's out there. You just have to look around. Right, you know? right. And then what you'll see is, uh, as you know, the, the first sergeants, our senior enlisted leaders, mm. you know, our, our young commanders, lieutenants and captains and stuff like that. They're, they're still developing, right? Senior yeah. enlisted leaders. Yeah. Hey, hey boss. Yeah. I, I came up with drill, but you, you know, you didn't mention the commander's priorities. Oh yeah. Or you didn't mention yours for this weekend. So, so what do you really want us to focus on? Right. So hey, right. That from repetitious a, from, and yeah, and, from a and more senior thing. NCO mm -hmm. standpoint, Start with the big picture. If, if the commander's diving down into something really small, go, hey, boss, you really need to start with the big picture. You need to tell everybody. Everybody's not going to see what you just told them because you only really impacted 20% of the organization. So uh, our enlisted leaders, as you know, hey, hey, when I walk into a crowd, you're going, hey, boss, I really think, based on what I've heard, this is what they, what they want to know. Correct. Correct. Okay, Correct. got it. Yeah. Thanks, Chief. You and I have been doing this yep. for about 18 months now, mm -hmm. so yeah. it's been going well. And, sir, you mentioned, you know, um, within the Air National Guard, you know, you talk about partnerships and you talk about the community. Based on your experience as Adjutant General there in Colorado, what did you do to try to stay intact and get the message of what the Air National Guard, the National Guard had to offer the community based on um, your strategic message in within the community did you right. have a team or did you have regular engagements uh were the airmen talking with their employers how was that communicated during your tenure yep during my tenure what we try to do is in colorado was a very military friendly community mm -hmm. as you can imagine um ton of active duty bases army i mean we even had a uh, uh navy reserve marine corps and mm -hmm. uh, obviously Air Force and now Space Force. So tons sitting in Colorado. Because of that, they had a bunch of defense committees or community, you know, Aurora Defense Community, Aurora Defense Committee. Um, you had groups like uh, Colorado 30 that support the military, stuff like that. Every time that they had a normally monthly or quarterly or yearly meetings, always send somebody. Always get your message across. Sync up with the public affairs office because public affairs have a lot of uh, what I'll call, hey, here, here is what the commander's priorities are. Here's what the commander's talking about. And it didn't matter to me whether, whether it was an enlisted member going, an officer going, commander going, or somebody else. Because a lot of our folks that go there, 
are actually civilians sometimes that are members of the National Guard and also members of of these defense communities. Yes. So anyone ought to be able to talk about the organization. Yes, that's correct. Anybody. So it was never about me talking about it. If I was there, great, but I also had two state partnerships. So if I wasn't there, yeah, go talk about it. Go talk about our priorities. What, I, what I'd also do is you can actually uh, pull down chief staffs, United States Air Force's talking points, because sometimes there are some good talking points that not just relate to the community, but do that. Um, the other things that the community is always interested in, hey, any upcoming changes, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you don't know about those, okay? But every year there are normally some changes, some of them minor, some of them, obviously, if we're doing force structure stuff, it's major. Um, communities also like to see economic impact. I found that out. And, and actually there's some reports out there. Most states have done a report on the economic impact of the military. And then what they normally like is, hey, here's, here's where our airmen are located right now around the world. Right. Well, hey, or here's what's upcoming mm-hmm. this next drill weekend. We have a change of command where, where we invite a lot of these folks out to the community or out to the base in order to come in and participate in some, in some of our higher profile events and right. we recognize them. And so they get a sense of, Hey, wait a second. Now I understand what the guard's about. Okay. Now I also understand where they are in the world. Now I understand why I see C-17s or F-16s flying. And, um, and I know what they need in the future. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the things that, um, when I'm out and I talk, um, uh, a lot of individuals ask me, uh, what keeps you up at night? I say, well, the thing to keep me up at night is the strategic IQ of our airmen. And what I mean by that is them understanding our strategic competitors because they're studying us. We need to understand them. Um, so the more they're educated about our strategic competitors, our adversaries, our near-peer adversaries, is going to make them in tune and make them understand the why and why they wear the uniform. Uh, but it's always about us providing that information to them as leaders. Um, and anytime we have to gather them together and get them in and educate them on the competitors that we have, within that right yeah sometimes one of the things i do when i'm up there in front of crowd and especially if it's a um somewhat controversial to some folks i will definitely make sure i repeat my response and my answer two or three times so that there's no misunderstanding and based on my viewpoint or my answer to that particular crowd at that time so uh, i i know that's that's um something a habit that i've started that i've did over the years you know because sometimes you know you have individuals out there they take they're sitting there they listen they're playing with the phone they take bits and pieces of it and then they draw their own conclusion but you do have to be deliberate in message a little bit as a leader okay there's a time for discussion debate and there's a time where you go okay the commander commander's commander everybody time for debate's over Quite frankly, I need to salute smartly, and now I now I need to put myself into their position of why they're going down this path. I've been there before. I've been there where I've had these healthy debates. Um, 
I've also been there where I've probably walked into a uh, crowd of folks and said something that something to the effect of, I don't know why the heck we're doing this, but here's the decision. I never own the decision, right? Uh, as a leader, you got to own the decision. The time for debate was over when I left the commander and I, and I, Trust me, I've never been shy about speaking up when I think that we're going in the wrong direction. And if I thought that way, then I would speak up because there's a time to have the debate. And you need to have the debate. You need to be able to to, uh, to say the reasons why and also say the reasons why you don't think that that's the right way for the organization to go. And so we have that debate. We come out of there, and then we come out with an agreement. And you go, yep. And then you hear why the commander has gone that direction, Correct. right? It's a little bit of the why. You got to get mm -hmm. into the why of some of these things. Because if we don't tell the airmen the why they're doing it, then I think that we lose them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've gone beyond the stage of, uh, you know, being a kid and getting told no because mom and dad have experience, right? Right. We're at the stage now where, especially our airmen, are well read. They've they've had these debates, so I never get up in front of a crowd anymore. Never say never, but go ahead. My personal opinion is this: I I have done the debates with the most senior leaders of the United States Air Force, Secretary of the Air Force, and once the decision's made, um, he's heard me. He he's never not acknowledged it, so he he he's hearing it right. And then and then you come out and you go okay. We need to march down this path, and I understand why. Because we had that debate. So, yeah, General Brown calls it having the meeting in the meeting. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> don't have a meeting before the meeting. Don't have me definitely don't have a meeting after the meeting. Because once we yes. have a meeting, we're going to have the meeting in the meeting. We're going to have it right. all debated, and at the end of the day, we're going to come out there with strategic direction. And I think that that's the difference, right? It's that strategic direction. As we have young leaders, and you, you'll see it, Mm -hmm. um, don't be afraid. Take some risk, right? Make a decision. If it's not working out well, dump it. That's right. Right. Figure it out. Um, be be a little uh, self aware and go. Yeah, I, I I made that mistake. Own it. It's okay. That's right. I mean, it, 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 truly, it is okay. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. We all have. That's how we grow. It is. That's how we learn. And so. Now, when you think about it, as you get up to more and more senior levels, have that debate, have that necessary debate, and then go, yep, okay. Time, it's time now that I go, I've done as much as I can for you. But when I go out in front of people, I don't say, hey, yeah, I really didn't like it. I go, hey, here's what we're doing, but here's why we're doing it. Because I think that that's the most important thing. And I think when they understand the why, you get beyond the, Boy, that's the dumbest idea or something else. Because trust me, somebody has been having those debates. So. Yes, yes. Well, sir, we uh we thank you for your time and sharing your perspective. And before we close out, I would like for you to uh share and think and I want you to put it out there like you're thinking to a a young lieutenant or a staff sergeant on what things you could provide them to be prepared to lead strategically? Um, continue learning. Continue reading. 
Continue developing your own skills, both inside the Air Force and outside the Air Force. I think those are those two are the most important things. Look at what your National Guard does for national defense. Think about that. Get involved in the community. Get involved in associations, you know, professional associations that are out there because those folks will have different perspectives. Um, get outside your unit. Okay? Go mm-hmm. volunteer for things that may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's okay. Trust me, the United States Air Force has given you skills. You just don't realize it, but you will encounter things that you go, wow, I learned that when I was a cadet, or I learned that uh, when I was going through ROTC, right? I learned that in basic training. I just forgot about it mm-hmm. <laughs> until you're put under stress, and then you finally figure it out. Yep, I did learn that. <laughs> and go have fun. So, yeah, expand. Expand from, wh- from where you're at. If you're really, really good at what you're doing, Keep getting better at doing other things. And then bring all that because that's why we are the best. We're the National Guard. 108,000 airmen. 108,000 airmen deployed around the world. All bringing air power for America. It's very powerful. Thanks for what you do. Hey, thanks, sir. Thanks for those closing comments. And we'll turn on the Mass Sergeant Gallant. Thank you, General Lowe and Chief Williams, for taking the time to talk with us about leading by being strategic and deliberate. Strategic vision will always have a role in the U.S. military. As leaders, it is up to us to educate our airmen on the role they play in mission accomplishment. Be sure to follow the Air National Guard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for more of Team 13, follow the director of the Air National Guard on Facebook. Join us again next month on 13 Ways to Lead, where we will be talking to Staff Sergeant Casey Heichel on leading through decisiveness and follow-up. From all of us here at the Air National Guard Podcast Network, have a great Air National Guard day. Team 13, out. 13 Ways to Lead is produced by Major Amber Schott. Our editor and sound mixer is Master Sergeant Randy Fowler. This episode was recorded at the Secretary of the Air Force Public Affairs Studio in the Pentagon.